Bless you guys. Amen. Bless you guys. Now, um, I just, I want you to know what's about to transpire uh, is Governor Mike Huckabee's fault. So uh, please pay attention to the video. All right, we have even more left-wing hypocrisy on coronavirus tonight because while lockdown-loving California liberals tell everyone, stay at home, lawmakers, California, they're off to Hawaii for a lavish getaway. And by the way, after a judge's ruling in San Diego earlier this month, strip clubs are temporarily allowed to reopen. Churches, they have to conduct services online outside. You can't make this up. It's not really funny, but you can't make it up. Now, religious liberty advocates believe the case could actually pave the way to lift the restrictions against houses of worship to the First Amendment implications. By the way, can't you socially distance, have them outside? San Diego, it's warm uh, and people wear masks. You can do those things, you know. Dr. Fauci told us. Anyway, far left liberals, they're totally fine bending their own rules, even as their own residents suffer. You got Governor Gavin Newsom. He had to apologize after he violated his own restrictions by attending a party at a famous California restaurant. You got the Chicago mayor. Yes, not worried about all the violence. Recently spotted out in a large crowd celebrating Joe Biden. She canceled Thanksgiving for Chicago. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer's member her husband busted trying to take his boat out during the summer lockdown and then using his wife's name. Here now, Fox News contributor Mike Huckabee, along with the author of the upcoming book, Modern Warriors, Real Stories from Real Heroes, which, by the way, he is one of, published first book, by the way, by Fox News Books, Fox and Friends Weekend co-host Pete Hegseth. Governor Huckabee, I don't know, hypocrisy. I would think that, you know, if you're going to open the strip club, it might apply to churches. I'm just guessing. I haven't been there. Stay away from those places. No good's coming out of that place. Right. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with the strip clubs. I do have quite a bit of experience with churches (laughs) and generally they're a fairly safe place. And I would think that it's ridiculous to say that people are safer in a strip club than they are at church. Announced that their pastor will remove his tie during the sermon and therefore he will take off an article of clothing, making it a temporary strip club (laughs) so people will be able to go to church. Could be said that he'd bail me out if I got arrested for that. So, this, this is insane. 
cannot America see the hypocrisy and the stupidity of all this? You're being lied to. And we are finished with your tyranny. And we are going to enjoy Thanksgiving. And we're going to worship God. Open your churches. Go back to church. Open businesses. Take off the mask. Amen. And by the way, you business owners, the brave business of the pizza cookery, 75 uh, Thousand Oaks Boulevard, that you go in there, you don't have to wear a mask. You frequent that place. Every business owner, start getting brave. Push back. Enough is enough. You got quiet on that. The only, the only restraints they place upon you are the ones you allow them to. They serve us. We don't serve them. This is insane. And they make rules that they themselves don't keep. Do we still have that clip? You want to show that? Don't worry. There's a message. I'm going to teach you out of the Bible. I promise. <laughs> I, I just, I had to comply by the governor's standard. We're, we had to be a strip club if we wanted to meet. So we had to take a look at this. These are businesses in our city that less than a year ago were vibrant and completely shuttered. If this isn't making you sick to your stomach and this isn't motivation enough to push back, people's livelihoods are being destroyed while we give a 12.5% raise to the health officer in this county while they devastate our businesses and our families and we have to push back. Look at this, it's a wasteland. You go to the lakes, there's three businesses remaining. This isn't some obscure area. This is your home. This is your county. Hold your elected officials accountable. Tell them to stop it. The doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Push back. Six feet apart and you get to lose your business. If the lockdowns were so effective, why do we have to do it again? 14 days to flatten the curve and we're almost a year into this nightmare. And they want us to say it's the new normal and we're in this together while they still receive their paychecks. And get a 12.5% raise while our businesses are shuttered. It is our turn to push back. And you must. Don't sit here and and yell and say stuff because you feel brave here. Bravery is when you go out there alone and you have character. And you stand no matter what the cost. Because it's the right thing to do. And people are counting on you. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You do it. And the the bravery of folks is amazing to me. The only reason why we're still standing is because men and women have a spine. And they've stood. And they continue to push back. But if we fold... We're going to have to explain this to generations to come. While on our watch, we surrendered the greatest nation on the face of the earth to tyranny. And it's not going to happen. If you were a believer and you profess Christ as your Savior, he's come to set the captives free. 
where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The apostle Paul from prison said, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. This is our calling. This is our responsibility. Oh, we don't do politics. Well, then get out of the church. Because upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, which is public square. It's all about politics. You're contending for the welfare and the concerns and the livelihood of your neighbors. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Those that are abused are being quarantined with their abusers. The elderly are lonely and isolated for no reason. No one gets to attend their, their, the, the funerals of their loved ones. They took away the Holy Week. Now they want to take away Thanksgiving, and I guarantee you they're going to push for Christmas. And this virus is so insidious that at 9.59 it awakens. Oh, but it's about the science. What science are you talking about? That's moronic and stupid. And we know better. And every doctor that speaks according to science is stifled and shuddered. And they lose their livelihood. And it's our responsibility, thanks. It's our responsibility to support folks. You know, Simone Gold was one of the frontline doctors. They fired her. She's brilliant. She also has a law degree. Folks, we can't allow this. You, you no longer have the luxury of remaining silent. And so I, I would just encourage all of us that this is a critical season in the history of this nation. And I want to share with you a roadmap out of this misery. Because this is Thanksgiving week, and I, I, I can't wait to have a wonderful big party that's going to go past 10 p.m. <laughs> now, please, I, I, don't, I don't dismiss the over 170 people who have died either with or from COVID in our county. At, at last count, I know that two died from and the rest had comorbidities, over two each, 2.6 is the average, whether it's diabetes or a number of other things. And we also know that uh, who's it, who, who it's affected, who is most susceptible. We've made caution for that. We have elderly folks that tune in via live stream. That's why we've Provided that, we have an FM station you can listen to in the parking lot. But if you're healthy, 85% of the people who contract COVID really don't even know they've had it. And, and you have Dr. Levin, who has told all the physicians in our county to test everybody, even if they're asymptomatic. Because the only way they can keep this charade going is to say, do you see how many new cases? How many new cases? At last count, I didn't see it today, but at last count, in the last 14 days, we haven't had a death. I think we have 13 to 15 people in ICU, and it's still not clear, and they don't give us the data on. And, and by the way, typically, tens of thousands contract the influenza every year. Have you noticed that influenza has completely disappeared in America? It, it just, it, it, it's a miracle. And they're, they're trying to just keep this charade going while they take more and more and more. And we know better. And we have to act accordingly. He who knows what to do and doesn't do it, 
To him it is sin. We can't remain silent. I was moved because one of the roadmaps out of this misery was an inspiration of an 18-year-old. It's my generation that's allowed theirs to awaken in this dystopian nightmare because we were too busy worrying about baubles and trinkets and playing church while the secular progressive left was occupying the ecclesia, the public square. We said politics is dirty, so we avoided it for the last 50 years. We attend churches that just avoid the tough questions and educate our children in those churches when they have tough questions in the church and the pastors say, we don't do politics. We're not going to talk about gender. We're not going to talk about abortion. We're not going to talk about marriage. We're not going to talk, none of those things. We no longer worry. We just kind of farm our children off to an education system, not for education, but indoctrination. And we wake up and we wonder what happened. And the ones leading us out of this dystopian nightmare are 18-year-olds. I'm watching them stand in bravery at Turning Point USA, watching as, as they're, they're standing in bravery. It's harder for them to be conservative on their campuses than it is to profess Christ because that doesn't mean anything today. Christ follower means somebody who really doesn't contend for culture. If, if you say that you, you, you comply to the tyranny in order to preach the gospel... I really wonder what gospel you are preaching. Because while we comply to the tyranny, your neighbors are being destroyed. Babies are being murdered. Freedom is being stolen. But you preach the gospel. What gospel? Christ said he came to make disciples, not converts. Discipleship is an understanding on how to contend. Galatians 3 says that the law is a school teacher, a guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes and it's to keep us safe. We're to contend in the public square for every one of these issues on behalf of our children, our businesses, our livelihood. We don't appreciate liberty until we've lost it. Now we're getting a little nervous. But it's these young people that are awakening to the fact that, wait a minute, this changed overnight. That the fastest growing populace for the pro-life movement is young people. <clears throat> My generation gave up on it. It was too controversial to talk about in church. Even though we've, we, we kill over 300,000 black children a year. It's the number one cause of death in the black community. But we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. I don't want to go to church to hear that. Well, then go somewhere else. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pro-life Democrat. Okay, I, I, Pastor, you're getting political. Amen. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am getting political. But you don't understand. Why does it have to all be about life? Because the other things don't matter if you're not alive. That's why our founder said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because liberty and happiness are scarce little value if you've been torn apart in the womb of your mother. It's supposed to be the safest place in America. And you want to contend on this. You say, well, it's not a baby. Then what is it? 
What is it exactly? We, we've avoided this. We've kicked the can down the road. We find ourselves thinking, God, save America. And he's looking at us as he's saying, save yourselves. Your birth rate is plummeting. Your churches are silent. And now we're coming into Thanksgiving. And I really do believe God is causing an awakening in the hearts of America. And I pray that's the case. There was a season where if I'd said what I just said, the church would just have been empty. I know because I've been doing it for 20 years. I've had that gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size. (laughs) But now we're starting to realize, wait a minute, you can't walk away from God and his precepts and expect the nation to flourish. He's the author of liberty, the sustainer of liberty. Mankind seeks to enslave others and destroy what's been created in the image of God. And we sacrifice our children on the altar of Molech for financial gain or maybe it's inconvenient. And I know we've all struggled. I'm not bringing condemnation. I mean... The statistics tell us that everyone in this room has been affected by abortion. My own family has been. It's not condemnation. It's acknowledgement and mercy. God will grant mercy when we're honest. But just because you've participated doesn't mean you have to now buy into the lie and continue this atrocity to exist. It was... It was men and women who saw the atrocity of slavery, even though it was wholly accepted around the world, and decided to make a difference, even though their lives had been invested in it and they'd participated. They said, it's going to stop. 2% of our nation's population died on a battlefield. Today, that would equate to, what, 6, 7 million people to lift the scourge of slavery? And and I I have news for you. Slavery was atrocious. There's now more slaves on the planet than there were back in the 1860s. And it's atrocious. Vile, evil, from the pit of hell itself. But you want to talk about something that has far exceeded the atrocity of slavery in America. Is the Holocaust in the black community... While they've planted eugenesis, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, to remove the undesirable races in the inner city, strategically located, while less than 4% of the nation's population, black females of childbearing age, are responsible for almost 40% of the abortions in America, they've wiped out the black community. They should be in the 30, 40 percentile in America. But since 1973, over 300,000 black children, number one killer in America. And the church continues to put up that black tile, virtue signaling. While BLM Inc. and Planned Parenthood work, work arm in arm to burn their inner cities, destroy their children, and use them as political pawns. those are hard words. And we're in the middle, we're in the middle right now of a bloodless civil war. Half of America 
is not going to put up with what just took place. They're upset. But how upset are they and what is it that they're standing for? Their jobs? Their livelihoods? They want life to go back to the way it was? Are they examining and saying, God, what are you trying to tell us? Because we're really having to examine our lives. We look back over a rich 244-year history, one that actually goes back 400 years to the very first political contract, 400th anniversary celebrated this year, this month, 400 years ago, Mayflower Compact. Very first government established, apart from the king in a sense. They'd been blown off course so they couldn't land in the Virginia colonies in Jamestown, and they ended up in Massachusetts 500 miles away. And they said, we got to do something. And so they created their government. When they got off the ship, there was a little over 100 of them. And by the following year, there were less than 50 living. Six of the survivors were well enough to care for the others who were still sick that would ultimately survive. 1621, as they went into that year, no supplies came. Just more pilgrims, hungry bellies. They couldn't make anything work. And there's a story of God's hand in all of this that we've, we've stopped telling our children. We've allowed schools to no longer talk about America and the providential hand God has had upon it. We've tolerated that. We've allowed our history to be dictated by economics the only thing they know about the Declaration of Independence is that it's no taxation without representation. That was number 17 on a list of 27 grievances towards the king. And it was one of the least of importance. It was a usurpation of power by representatives that was the problem. And that was listed 10, 15 times more than no taxation without representation. And these textbooks came in, removed God, and started making it all about money. It's the economy, stupid. While we don't allow our children to understand the significance of what God did in and through the founding of this nation. We have to revisit this. And we, we think, I can't believe that they closed our schools. That's one of the greatest blessings. You say, well, I, I got stuff to do and I really don't need to be educating my children. Well, you are the steward of your child. The state isn't. Maybe you've awakened to this understanding if you, as, you, as you've read the scripture. You're going to give an accounting to God for the child he's entrusted to your care. Raise them in the way that they should go, that then when they're old, they won't depart thereof. Whatever things are true, have you imparted that to them? Have you shown them the understanding of old? Have you laid out the foundation that they would realize that history isn't an enigma? It's a declaration of God's hand in the affairs of people. Have they seen this? Do they have a Christian worldview? This is a time to re-investigate that, revisit it. They've taken your schools, they've shut them down. Now, you, now you, you, you now have the freedom. You always have. But now you, you have the chance to realize you really aren't that stupid. You can do this. The product you're going to produce is Exponentially better than what's coming out. 
I mean, our schools are some of the worst in the nation. For you teachers, God bless you. You're, you're the best teacher in that system. They don't care about you. They're going to remove you if you have any vestige of, of morality. We have the worst poverty, worst homelessness. The roads are getting close. Worst debt. Our schools are, thank God for Mississippi. And, and they'll, the teachers' union in California will let us open as long as we adhere to all their political demands. Because it's, it's all about that, not the kids. Now listen, teachers. I don't believe the union speaks for you. I believe that you are sincerely called and gifted to do what you do. I think it's been hijacked. And you entered into that profession with all noble reasons. And you're just as frustrated as we are. We're not your enemies. We adore you. But we're all struggling over this mess. And the scripture I want to share with you this morning is an 18-year-old who figured it out. So if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Kings chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, I threw these folks a curveball because they thought I wasn't going to do it. But they'll be walking down the aisle and just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. You're welcome to keep it too. 2 Kings 22. So I'm going to read 14 verses about one of my favorite kings in the scripture. Context-wise, there was a series of kings. It would always be listed that they would either honor God or not honor God. This is one who did, one of the few who did. He came to power at a very young age. Israel, Judah was... A, a theocracy, a, a monarchy. And um, this young boy rises to the position. And 2 Kings 22 gives you a really wonderful insight into how to turn the corner and get out of this mess. And we're going to learn from an 18 year old. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscoth, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord, and let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, 
to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house, however there need be, no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, down the line, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. I pray encouragement, Lord. Encouragement upon all who are present. Lord, even in the midst of this difficulty, this misery, this dystopian nightmare, we are so thankful that we have you. In the midst of trial, we have you. And it's good. Count it all joy. And we do. It's all perspective. Lord, encourage all who are present to realize that this day. Bless us, Lord, we pray. Direct us. We long to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. All good? Sorry about that. I drained the batteries. <clears throat> Josiah, at 18 years of age, is just doing what everyone before him did. The temple is a place where you collect money. That's what the church is. We build things, monuments to our magnificence. Look how big the church is. Look at the climbing wall for the kids. Look at the smoke machines. Isn't this fascinating? Isn't it amazing? And that's what the church does. We don't do law. We don't do politics. The, the law, the law, yeah, well, God gave us the law to show us we can't keep it. Because we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we preach the gospel, brother. And we, we comply... Because we want to tell people the gospel, share the Lord, the good news. The good news. That though you're separated from God by your sin, there's a Savior who left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross. Who died in your place and paid the penalty for your sin that if you would believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father And if you believe that, if the scripture says, if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. And if you long to receive Christ as your Savior, and then the pastor says, raise your hand, and they do. And my work here is done. 
And we want to avoid any application of the scripture that's going to talk about those issues that we talked about earlier because it burns people out and they just don't come. And that hinders the message and the reach of touching people with that saving message of salvation. It's a delicate balance. And when you say, well, but the law of God gives us civil government if we examine it. We, that was for the Jews. We don't do government. But the word that Tyndale was burned at the stake for when he translated the Bible from Latin into English, the common language, the, the, the word he translated, Matthew 16, ecclesia, didn't mean church. That word didn't come till 400 years later. The word that Tyndale, Tyndale translated it is clear that was translated hundreds of years earlier with secular Koine Greek language as public square where people gathered to figure out how their community would live. And above the door was eleutheria and, and isonomia, liberty and equality. That was what an ecclesia was. And the church has always been called to that. Upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Yeah, well, that's your translation. No, 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 no. That's what the scripture says. What are, what are you doing? Are you building a building and trying to keep revenue? Because that's exactly what everyone before him did. This is how the young people did church. Collect the revenue. And then one day, they say, look what we found. We found the law of God. Josiah, at 18 years old, opens it up. He's mesmerized by it. He looks at it, he says, we're not obeying this. That's why we're in this misery. We've got to fix this. That's called an awakening. Then revival. Revival's like judgment day. Because when you awaken to the reality of God's law, you realize you failed to comply to it and you recognize your sin in the presence of God and then you recognize his goodness and his mercy all at one time. It's a fascinating feeling. And Josiah opens it and the nation mourns and they fast and they weep. Do we have... Job 8.8, 8. I thought that was the first slide. Did I put that in there? Can you put Job 8.8 8 up? And you can turn to your Bibles if you like. Job 8.8. 8. I think it's 8.8. 8. Did you find it? There we go. Job says, For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. I was a history major. What's the point of history? To remember. The Lord loved history. He had the Israelites remember. They took copious notes to remember. Because the heritage and the faithfulness of God spanned generations to the point where an 18-year-old who had, been, who had inherited a kingdom that was in decline and surrounded by debauchery 
was able to discover something that had been written long before. And not only did he awaken to its truth, so did the nation. History is critical right now. And now we're coming in. We have short memories. We're, we're, we're coming into another lockdown. They, they, they want to cancel your Thanksgiving. I don't have time to go through the list of, of his orders. And as we said earlier, just like he did in violating them, we're just going to apologize in advance. That's all. I'm sorry for breaking your ordinance later this week. Because <clears throat> he didn't have to face consequences. He just said he was sorry. So that's what I'm going to say. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Works for him. Works for me. Nancy Pelosi. She can get a haircut. Hair dye, no mask. But it's the salon owner that gets punished. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. Uh, my favorite one is, if you have people come to your house, make sure you take their name for contact tracing. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not doing that either. Yavolt. Comrade. I, I'm thinking that, they're, 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 why are they taking Thanksgiving and and why is our memory dissipating? Don't you remember it was 14 days to flatten the curve? We're almost a year into this. Do we remember the first shutdown, how we almost lost everything? And we're going to do it again? These businesses aren't going to survive. This, this, it's over. If we don't open now, it's over. And they want to destroy middle income. Because you own property. They don't want you to have it. Oh, conspiracy. You know, the more you say that, the more you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Because ours is transpiring before our very eyes at, at light speed, and you're going, well, I got... You know what a conspiracy theorist, that, that label is? That's given to anyone who questions the narrative. Guilty. And so they want us to forget. Job says... Please inquire of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For inquire, please, I beseech you, go back to your founders. Re-examine, open the book, see what you've been given. See what's happened. How did we get here? Look at the roadmap. An 18-year-old could do it. So can we. Have you opened the Constitution? Have you read the Declaration of Independence? Have you revisited your history that for 244 years, men and women have bled and died to secure. Have you done this as a citizen of this nation? Have you educated your children and taken the time? Because listen, where are we going to go? Have you revisited this? They're taking away Thanksgiving. You don't even know the history of it. It's a rich one. The word pilgrim... It's Latin. It's a traveler, literally one, who comes from afar, who's on a journey to a holy place. Typically, this is a physical journey, often on foot, to some place of special significance to the adherent of a particular religious belief system. These pilgrims were came seeking religious freedom. They were in Leiden or Leiden. 
And they came all the way over to the United States. Wasn't that at the time. They got here in 1620. As I told you, they were blown off course. They opened these scriptures. You can see the scripture they're reading there. It's the one that was translated by Tyndale. It wasn't the King James Version that would put the word church in. No. When they got to Matthew 16 with Tyndale and this Geneva Bible, and it had all civic uh, government listed in the margins. Fascinating Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Bible of the pilgrims. When they saw that word, they saw assembly. They saw public square. They were so moved that they realized we have to come up with a form of government. The very first government ever established, formal Western government ever established, I should say biblical government, Mayflower Compact was the first governing document of Plymouth Colony. It was written by the pilgrim passengers of the Mayflower consisting of Puritans, adventurers, tradesmen. These pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution. Now it says there November 11th, but I actually believe it was the 18th, 19th. And, there's, and the reason why it's messed up is because you have an old calendar and a new calendar. So you get to celebrate it twice. <laughs> this is how it begins. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, and Company, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And it goes on to say we do establish this body politic. Christians? Establishing political me? Yeah. Revisit the book. Open the law. See what God intended. That winter was harsh. Less than 50 survived. Six were healthy enough to care for them. They had no food. They didn't know what to do. Their crops were failing. That was 1620. Back in 1608... There was this dude, Squanto. We don't teach this anymore in schools. Squanto, 1608. Kidnapped. Sold into slavery. Taken over to Spain. Catholic priests in Spain cared for him. They brought him in to the church they educated him he learned to read and speak spoke multiple languages most importantly English he came to a a faith they adored him so much they paid for his passage to go to England because that was really the only place that was launching ships back to where he came from he ends up Finding a ship to take him back. There weren't a lot going there back then. It's like space shuttles. Very few launches. (laughs) He ends up in a different location and has to travel a great distance to get to where his homeland is. And when he arrives there, his entire tribe was wiped out by smallpox. He has nothing. He connects with a local tribe, Wanapoag, gets to know them. Starts to live in that area and he's, he's staying where his tribe was wiped out. And lo and behold, these people seeking freedom to worship God are blown 500 miles off course. And where do they end up? Right in the location where his previous tribe had once occupied. He knows the ground. He knows the streams. He knows the hunting. He knows it all. 
not sure what to make of them. And when they go through this harsh winter and they're starving, along comes Squanto. He greets Bradford. And he says to him, in the king's English, hello. (laughs) Greetings. My name is Squanto. And he proceeds to show them how you take a seed and a fish and you put the fish and they run upstream and there's, there's a season for them. You catch them with these nets and I'll show you how to do it. And then they take this, the, the, the fish and they put it with the seed. We used to teach this. We don't do it anymore. And it, the fertilizer allows the crops because this soil is depleted and this is how my people survived here. And the eels are edible and the things come upstream and he began to teach all of them. And they flourished. And in 1621... They gathered all the tribes around. They had a 50-year pact, peaceful pact. Squanto was instrumental in this. They had a Thanksgiving feast, the very first one. 1608, I went through all of this, but God had plans for Squanto. God delivered a Thanksgiving miracle, an English-speaking Indian living in the exact place where the pilgrims land in a strange new world. I love Psalms 84. Blessed is a man whose strength is you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God. You see, the valley of Baca was treacherous, but then the rains would come, and it would just seem beautiful. And you, you go from difficulty to difficulty, but you give thanks to God, and you're on a pilgrimage. And the way you survive in tough circumstances is to be thankful. The most critical components in the history of our life and the reason why the pilgrims gave thanks and the reason why they did this is because they were in the midst of struggle. It took a long time to get out of that mess. The most intense moments of thankfulness are not found in times of plenty but when difficulties are bound. Think of the pilgrims at first Thanksgiving, half their numbers dead Men without a country, but still there was thanksgiving to God. Their gratitude was not for something, but in something. It was that sense of gratitude that led Abraham Lincoln to formally establish the first Thanksgiving Day in the midst of a national civil war when the butcher's list of casualties seemed to have no end and the very nation struggled for survival. I want to read that to you. And much of the credit... For the adoption of Thanksgiving as an annual national holiday is attributed to a woman who wrote a book called Godey's Ladies Book. Her name was Sarah Joseph Hale. She was a popular ladies book. It contained poetry, artwork, articles by America's leading authors, America's leading authors. For two decades, she promoted the idea of a national Thanksgiving Day. She contacted President Lincoln after the president um, excuse me, contacting president after president until Abraham Lincoln responded in 1863 by setting aside the last Thursday of that November. The Thanksgiving proclamation issued by Lincoln was remarkable, not only for its strong religious content, but also for its timing. For it was delivered in the midst of the darkest days of the Civil War, with the Union having lost battle after battle, throughout the dark circumstances, Lincoln nevertheless called Americans to prayer with an air of positive optimism and genuine thankfulness. I'll read it to you momentarily, but I like what this author says. 
That remarkable Thanksgiving proclamation came at a pivotal point in Lincoln's spiritual life three months earlier, the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, when he gave this proclamation, it was before the Gettysburg Address, but after the Battle of Gettysburg. The Battle of Gettysburg had occurred, resulting in the loss of some 60,000 American lives. The bloodshed was overwhelming. It had been while Lincoln was walking among the thousands of graves there at Gettysburg that he first committed his life to Christ, as he later explained to a clergyman. When I left Springfield, Illinois, to assume the presidency, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian when I buried my son, the severest trial of my life. I was not a Christian, but when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. The dramatic spiritual impact resulting from that experience was not only visible in Lincoln's Thanksgiving Day proclamation and also his 1864 call for a day of prayer and fasting, but especially in his 1865 second inaugural address when he won re-election. Over the 75 years following Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, presidents faithfully have followed Lincoln's precedent. The reason why they say that Lincoln never professed Christ is because those words came from a minister and they don't declare them to be first-hand knowledge. He attested to it. Others confirmed they had heard the same. But we do know this. The Lincoln never professed faith publicly. And though he never had church membership, nor was baptized. No president, no president in the entire history of the United States has ever quoted more scripture and referred to scripture more than Abraham Lincoln. And theologically speaking, as a minister, when you read his writings, especially his first and second inaugural address, this man had a a deep understanding of the hand of God in the history of the world. And as he writes this proclamation, having experienced the death of 60,000 soldiers in Gettysburg, and and, and it would go on, the Battle of the Wilderness, you'd have Antietam. 1863, the bodies piled up, hundreds of thousands, over 200,000 dead. They were sick of him. He didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting reelected. He knew McClellan was going to win. In the Battle of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, and I keep thinking about that, Pennsylvania, and then Sherman gets Lincoln reelected because of the Battle of Atlanta, and I, I, I'm, I don't know if there's commonality here, I'm just thinking... But I do know that the reason for the cause of why they did what they did was not because they wanted their favorite president in. Lincoln never lost sight of what he was called to do. It was always about freeing slaves to Lincoln. The year 1863 began in January with the Emancipation Proclamation. Nobody wanted that to be the forefront of what we were doing. People don't want to hear from me about all the stuff I've been talking about. It doesn't matter. God wants you to hear it. He wants me to hear it. I don't like it any more than you do. 
I don't like where we're at. I don't. But we've dusted off the books and we're re-examining. Wait a minute. How did we do this for 244 years and now we're losing it? How do we fix this? And Lincoln, like Josiah, never lost sight that the one thing you don't want to do and excuse me for saying this, is piss off God. I can't think of any other way to say that, to relate to people out there. Our founders understood the laws of nature and nature's God. They understood the need to acknowledge him four times in the Declaration of Independence. They knew that our children had to have an understanding. They saw the value of history. And we've forgotten it. And in the midst of the most misery ever imaginable, the most intense moments of our nation's history, hundreds of thousands are dead. Lincoln takes time to find thankfulness, not in a time of plenty, but when difficulties were abounding, just like the pilgrims. Their gratitude was not for something, but in something. It was that same sense of gratitude that led Lincoln to do this. And he wrote, by the President of the United States of America, proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies of navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well of iron and coal as of precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp the siege in the battlefield and the country, rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor and permitting to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins has nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise without being muzzled. I added that. To our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens 
And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perseverance and disobedience, perverseness, excuse me, and disobedience. Commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable, lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed by the president, Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to skip that and go to this. We must learn to be thankful or we will become discouraged. It's an inescapable tenant of Christianity that hardship will come. No one is immune from the greatest to the least of us, but there is another inescapable tenet of our faith. We are not to become discouraged. That's why the Apostle Paul from prison wrote, in everything give thanks. It is not the test of faith to give thanks when the sun is shining. It is the test of character when everything you touch turns to gold. It is not the test of our mettle when we have won the election. The test comes when we have been knocked down. We must learn to give thanks to God with whom we plan to spend eternity. Over and over again, Scripture makes it clear that God delights in a grateful heart. Therefore, may our prayer in times of trial be, O God, who has given me so much, I pray that you grant me one thing more, a grateful heart. We must learn to become thankful so that we do not become discouraged. And when you become thankful for the one who's responsible for your trials and your blessings and knowing that the trials work together for good and when you realize this God and you re-examine what he intended for you all along and you re-examine and rediscover his law and his book and his purpose in your life and for this nation, you realize what a wonderful God he is. What a wonderful father he is. None of this has caught him by surprise. He's been aware of our perverseness. He's been aware of our evil. He knew every one of those children by name. He knitted them together before they were torn apart. As their dismembered bodies floated through our sewage system. They were created in his image. And while we go to church to collect the tithe, and the ominence of opening the book in the midst of a trial and realizing we're not doing this. This is how we got here. We're awakened. And then we're revived. And this week, you have four days. You go home. You say, thank you, God, for awakening me to what matters. By your spirit, empower me, revive me. 
I am so thankful to be your child, to be your instrument, and to be used by you, and all fear has been removed, that I am a slave to no man, that you have given me freedom, freedom from myself, from that which once enslaved me, that I loved more than I loved you. Freedom from my apathy. And with the restraints, Lord, by your law applied to my life, the excellence that you bring is beyond measure. Thank you that you chasten me. Thank you that you've brought us through this season. Thank you for men and women in spite of the adversity and the deception and the lies. They stand firm and strong while they're threatened. God, make me like that. God, thank you that I can celebrate and praise you. That no man has the authority to tell me what to do. Thank you, God. I have to say, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, 56 years on this earth, this year was my favorite. (laughs) 56 Thanksgivings. This one is going to be my favorite. Open the book. Return to the Lord. Awaken. He wants you to have liberty, but you have to acknowledge that we lost it because we put everything ahead of him. Come home. We're all guilty. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And now it's resolved. You're reconciled. Acknowledge it. You see it. Confess it. He forgives it. And now you're an instrument to establish liberty and set the captives free. It's a good life. Or, or, contrast it. Let government be your God. They're so good at it. Just suck it up and give them everything they ask for. And look at your kids and say, you're not worth it. No, this is going to be a fun Thanksgiving. Because you guys, you guys are patriots and rebels. And you're ready to roll. But more importantly, you're lovers of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has come to set the captives free and you've received that. So you're just beggars showing other beggars where the food is. So let's make sure we do it this Thanksgiving. Amen? Let's worship the Lord. Let's stand and praise him.